for the love of goats. We are talking about everything goat. Whether you're a goat owner, a breeder, or just a fan of these wonderful creatures, we've got you covered. And now, here's Deborah Neiman. Today's episode is brought to you by Goats365, my membership program for people who are living with, learning about, and loving goats 365 days a year. Basic members get access to six courses covering housing, fencing, parasites, nutrition, and health, as well as things like composting goat manure and the basics of starting a goat-based business. Premium members also have the opportunity to attend live online meetings via Zoom to talk about goats every month. Visit goats365.com to learn more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. This is going to be a really fun episode for a lot of people because I think everyone has heard of fainting goats. Even if you don't have goats, you've heard of fainting goats. And they're actually officially called myotonic goats. And today we are talking to Phil Sponenberg of Virginia Tech, who is a veterinarian and a professor there. And he's been breeding myotonics for 30 years. It sounds strange to me, and this is one of the things we're going to talk about, is how a goat that seems to be something everyone's heard of could have been on the brink of extinction just a few decades ago. They used to be on the critical list of the Livestock Conservancy, but they are recovering thanks to lots of really dedicated breeders like Dr. Sponenberg. So welcome to the show today. Good to be here. Thank you. This is going to be so much fun to talk about these goats because sometimes I tell people I have goats and they're like, oh, do they faint? Like people just think this is just goats faint. It's just a goat thing. And it's really not. It's a very unique thing that myotonics do. So let's just get that part out of the way right off the bat. Why do myotonic goats faint? And what is that really? Well, they really don't faint. <laughs> when, they, when they get startled, they stiffen up. And the myotonia is actually myotonia congenita, which is a medical condition. And the cell membranes around the skeletal muscle cells are different than animals that lack this. And you actually see the same condition in a lot of different species, including in people. And it's rare in people, but that's how we know that it's painless. So it's painless, but when they stiffen up their muscles, you know, when they move their muscles really, really quickly, they just can't relax quickly. And so the muscle basically stays contracted for a few seconds, and then they will eventually recover and go on their merry way. So it actually turns out to be quite useful. They don't climb and they don't jump. And so they're actually the ideal goat because they're really easy to maintain that way. Um, in addition, since they came out of Tennessee originally, as near as we can tell, they actually are well adapted to the environment. So in addition to the muscle condition, they're also you know quiet, uh, good mothers, and they're also real well adapted to the environment. And how did they wind up to be so rare just a few decades ago? They were just overlooked. I mean, it was just a local thing that occurred in Tennessee. The breeders weren't organized. There was no need to go anywhere with it. And then in the exotic animal boom of the 1980s, some people started paying attention to them. And then the whole thing sort of goes two different directions. You know, one is the novelty market, you know, a really, really stiff goat, small, pretty. And then the other was actually the muscle condition makes them more heavily muscled 
than a normal goat. And so their meat to bone ratio is about four to one instead of the usual goat three to one. So they actually do make sense as a meat goat. So are they mostly raised today for meat or for pets? All of the above. And so if people are interested, they need to figure out their own goals and figure out which direction to go. Um, Some people select them for show. The shows are becoming more and more and more common. Some people select them for pets. Some people select them for commercial meat production and everything in between. So it it actually does fit a number of different niches within the goat breed market. So how much do the adults weigh? Well, (laughs) that depends on who you ask. The small ones are actually probably a true dwarf goat. I have heard people advertise 175 pound bucks. I suspect that there was a lot of fat on those. And some of these animals that are advertised at those weights, when I come home and look at my own, they're just as big. And my biggest doe is probably 110 pounds. So, you know, some of it, you wonder if that's not really all that accurate. Some of it probably is, but most of the does I'd say probably range between 75 to 110 pounds, something like that. A few over that, a few under that, something like that. And then the bucks are correspondingly, you know, sized bigger than the does. So they're not, they're not huge, but they're not tiny. Okay. So it doesn't sound like it's a whole lot bigger than a Nigerian dwarf, which is a dairy goat. So what is it exactly that makes the myotonic goats or fainting goats more of a meat goat type? Well, it's that thick muscling and that thick conformation, basically. Okay. Has anyone ever done milk testing with them? Do you know what kind of milk production they have? Ooh, uh, nobody's done formal milk testing. Um, a few people do milk them. And, you know, just word of mouth is that the protein content is pretty high. So the cheese production is pretty good. But again, I mean, that would be moderate lactations. You wouldn't get the lactation of a myotonic that you would out of a specialized dairy goat just because the selection isn't there. But you, I mean, you know, you can milk anything, right? So, and as, as is typical of goats that are not selected for dairy production, the solids are pretty high. The overall production is low, but the solids are pretty high. Okay. And do they typically have twins? Um, that's going to vary. A lot of them have twins. Uh, somebody just posted something about quintuplets. So the most we've ever had here is three. And they can count to three pretty well. I don't know if I can count to five. Our usual pattern is that the first timers usually have a single. Some of the first timers have twins and then twins tend to be fairly routine after that with the occasional triplet. Some of that depends on the system. You know, our system is mostly forage based, so they're not going to be pushed for that extra kid that somebody that's feeding a lot of grain might get. So it, it just varies. What is their temperament like? They're fairly quiet. We had just weaned kids one year and a a friend who's a Nubian breeder came and I found the noise deafening and she then turned to me and said, why is it so quiet? (laughs) So, yeah, so I mean, they are quiet. You know, basically if we have a goat making noise, we usually have to go figure out, okay, what's happening? Why is the goat making noise? So they, they are quiet. They're fairly easy to handle. As is typical of any goats, um, some of them are pretty bossy to each other. And so we have discovered over the years that occasionally we will have a herd queen who rules by terror. 
she's just a terrorist. I mean, she's, anything gets in her way, she's going to beat it up. But then we have some goats that have been queens, and I don't know how they do it, but they never resort to violence. And so, and they get to stay forever. I mean, because they're worth their weight in gold. I mean, yeah, everybody behaves, everybody's under control, and there's no violence. And so that's what we prefer. Um, but I, I, I can't look you in the eye and tell you that none of them are violent, you know, extremists, because some of them are. We had three of the original group, we called them the three hag sisters. And anybody got in their way, they got out of their way real fast. I mean, they were just horrible. In fact, we tipped the horns on one of them just because it kept us from getting too many injuries. I mean, beautiful, productive goat, but really, really bad attitude. So bad that her daughters refused to hang out with her. You know, they, they took one look at this. They said, look, this is no way to live. We're out of here. And so anybody that's raised goats knows that usually the families all stick together. Her family, no, we're out of here. As soon as we're weaned, we're on our own. Interesting. That sounds very interesting personalities there. You mentioned tipping horns. And so like with dairy goats, they are typically disputed and meat goats usually have their horns. Is there a standard with the uh, myotonics? Um, no. In fact, in our herd, we have both polled and horned goats. We like to keep a combination. There are advantages to the horns. Um, they actually do help the goat thermoregulate. So we're in Virginia on a hot day. We might notice that pole goats are in the shade. The horned goats are still out in the sun. And actually on a fairly warm day, if you, you know, feel the horns on a goat, they're going to be really, really hot. And that's how they're radiating heat. A second advantage is that they're, they're useful handles. So when I have to catch a goat and move it from point A to point B, it's harder with a pole goat than it is with a horned goat. You know, but I mean, we try to keep both around. Some people prefer one or the other. A lot of people do disbud them. Not everybody. Um, we've had very, very few if any, horn-related injuries, I can't think of any, I mean, other than just the usual violence that goes on. But I, I take that back. We did have one horned buck that had learned how to catch legs, and he, he was pretty bad. And that that's always a risk with any horned goat, but it seems to be related to the individual and not the fact that they do have horns. Now, I realize in a dairy situation or something closely managed, people may not want horns. In a meat goat situation, they're a little bit more useful. So with the registry, um, there's no requirement then for them to be disputed or anything like that? No, there's no requirement for either polled or horned or disputed, none. And because when you mentioned some of the like huge size variations and things like that, how long has the registry been around? And do you know how purebred are the goats or is there some other breed influence in there? If there is other breed influence, it seems to be fairly minimal. Now, the breed started in Tennessee in early in the 50s and went to Texas. Um, there is a little bit difference in style between the Texas goats and the Tennessee goats. The size overlaps between the both of them. The registry has been active probably since the early 90s. I'd have to look that up, but I, I should know because I helped start the registry. But um, I can't keep that in my head. Understand, <laughs> but early '90s, and the goal there was the overall breed type and the stiffness, and not necessarily the size. So there's no real strict size limit to it, since the size always varied. Now that said, if half of the rumors are true, and you know probably some of them are, you know some of the bigger goats may have something else in them. Some of the really really tiny goats may have something else in them. So 
you know, there, there is a possibility for that. Generally, when you crossbreed, you lose the stiffness in the first generation. So that the average casual breeder would just give up after that point. Um, that, that's not to say that somebody with a real definite goal might not put something else in there. But as far as we can tell, there's nothing else in there. That's interesting that you said that it, the stiffening usually goes away with the first generation because one of the interesting things about the Nigerian dwarf breed standard is that it says fainting is a disqualification, which kind of leads us all to think that like, oh, there must have been some fainting goat genetics back at some point with the Nigerians since that's in there because like, I can't think of any other reason why that would be in the breed standard. Yes, there may have been some crossing both directions in the early days, and it may still pop out in the Nigerian as the occasional stiff kid. There may be other goat breeds internationally with myotonia. I have heard rumors, but they're very, very rare. And so as far as we know, this is a uniquely American situation, a uniquely American product. So, you know, I mean, if it's, if it's starting to show up in your breed, scratch your head and think, huh, there's probably a reason for that. I don't think it is. And I've had them for 20 years, but I just always thought it was weird that that was in there. And maybe it's been taken out. I haven't looked at it lately, but I know it used to be in there because it would make everyone kind of scratch their head about why is that in there? So you mentioned earlier that they are actually pretty easy on fencing because of their unique muscles. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Because that's one of the well, big they, reasons people don't want goats because they're like, yeah, yeah. they're too hard um, to get fenced in. Now the, the stiffness varies. Basically, they can't jump and they can't climb very well at all. And so they're, they're easy to fence in. Now that said, you know, we use electric fencing and that keeps them off of the fence. Now we did have older bucks that developed a hobby of, you know, worrying a fence. They were horned and they would just worry a fence to death, basically. So, and that, that's actually one reason why we just use younger bucks now. I mean, it, it's easier for genetic management. It's also easier on the fencing. So if you mean, yes, can they tear up a fence? Yeah, absolutely. But they can't jump, but they can't go over it. <laughs> so, you know, for most people, that's a success. And, you know, basically we use our little working pin is basically hog panels bailing twine together, you know, which is a fairly low barrier. And so some people that raise, you know, Spanish coast or something like that may show up and say, well, gosh, this works. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. You know, they can't jump over it. So it just it makes it a little bit easier. I'm, I'm fairly tall, so I can actually step over it. So it makes it easier for me because I can get in and out and the goats can't. So, Wow, that's amazing. Your fence is so short that you can step over it and the goats can't jump over it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, you're not kidding when you say they can't jump. That's, that's like, if I could step over it, my kids can jump over it. No, uh-uh. No, you need myotonic goats. <laughs> yeah, that does sound a lot easier. Okay, so just really simple, the shortest woven wire that they sell would work then. Yes. The other advantage is they're parasite resistant. And Tennessee State is doing some research. It's still in the early stages. But so far, they've been at least equal to the Kiko, which is specifically selected for parasite resistance. And then we, we use the FAMACHA system and keep records. And we do have to deworm some goats. We don't use it as a primary selection criterion, but we do have some goats that have basically never been dewormed. And this is in you know relatively humid Virginia. So 
And so it sounds like they're really pretty healthy goats and everything. But one of the things that I remember hearing about them a long time ago when we were first getting started is that some people would keep a couple of them in their sheep flocks or other goat herds because they were basically the sacrificial goat for predators because of their tendency to stiffen up and fall over. Is that real or do you have to worry more about predators with them? Okay, it, it is real. And they, they, they were used for that, especially in Texas on the exotic ranches and things like that. However, if you have predators and if you have goats, it doesn't matter if they are myotonic or not. The predators are going to get some. Then they might get the myotonic ones first. But um, the idea that these are sitting ducks for predators, that's any goat, any sheep. And so, you know, basically predator control, predator avoidance, whatever you use, we use livestock guard dogs. And that's why, you know, because I mean, but we'd have that regardless of any breed of goat or sheep that we had. It's not related to the myotonia. That's just good goat management and good goat husbandry is taking care of the predator problem. That's definitely good advice for anybody that's got goats. So if somebody is thinking of getting goats, who would this breed be perfect for? Everybody. They're easy maintenance and they're really, really good mothers. You know, basically I haven't had one. I'm, I'm trying to think of, I'm telling the truth here, but I, I don't think I've had one that was a bad mother. And some of them, <laughs> we had one that was such an extremely good mother that she would steal kids from somebody else. So we actually, I mean, there is such a thing as too much maternal ability in a goat, but I mean, it was manageable and she actually kitted up until she was 17 years old. So she did us a good job. So yes, longevity, and they're fairly disease resistant. Now, obviously, there's specific goat diseases like hoof rot and cases lymphadenitis that you don't want to bring in. But, you know, they've been pretty resistant and, you know, efficient on forage, efficient with a little bit of grain. We do feed a little bit of grain. Good mothers, quiet and quiet, both in the sense of usually their interactions with each other, but also just they don't vocalize a whole lot. So they're not, you know, <laughs> they're not Nubians. <laughs> But I mean, people love Nubians and Nubians are great. And th th this is actually important because each breed is a good fit for the specific person. Right goat, right situation. For us, it's the right situation because they navigate our pastures pretty well. They're easy to contain. They're good mothers. They're quiet. They're parasite resistant. And so we just don't have to worry too much about them. You mentioned that they did well in um, hot climates. Do they also do well in cold climates? As far as I know, yes. Um, and we do get fairly cold winters. And ours actually produce, no, not all of them, but we do have goats that produce enough cashmere that I actually comb some of the goats out, get the cashmere dehaired, and I, I spin. So we'll spin and it makes exquisite yarn. I mean, they're really, really fine, really, really soft. So yeah, this time of year, they're fuzzy and they're beautiful and cold adapted. Uh, it rained here yesterday. It was about 40 degrees and they were just out in it. Now, some of them think they're going to melt, you know, if they get wet. Some of them, you know, they finally had to sit down and have a big meeting. And some of them told the other ones, no, you're not going to melt. This is going to be okay. You're going to get out there and eat. But yeah, they've been cold resistant. They sound like such an awesome goat. And they're so popular in terms of like, everybody knows what a fainting goat is. Do you have any theories about why they're not more popular? I mean, it seems like they would just like, that would be really the ideal goat for so many people looking for pets or meat or, you know, even now you're talking about cashmere. That's cool. Actually, I think that's why they're on the um, 
recovering list instead of the critical list. You know, I think that it finally caught on. And Richard Browning over there at Tennessee State, he recently added those to his breeds of meat goats that he's comparing. And so they're actually, they're gaining more and more attention, serious attention on the production side. And, I, you know, I think that that's going to also affect it. We actually do sell goats for meat and we do sell them through the just normal commercial channels. And they're, they're very, very well accepted. I mean, I, I do not have to go to extra, any extra effort to sell extra kids. You know, there's a, there's a ready market and it actually hits the, the top end of the market because of their confirmation and because of the way they look to the buyers. So if somebody is at this point, they're like, wow, you have sold me on them. I think I want to get my atonic goats. Is there any reason that somebody should not get them? <laughs> well, no, I'm a, I'm a goat breeder. Uh, again, it, it depends on your goals. And to us, I mean, people are always fascinated. Oh, you have fainting goats. Oh, you have fainting goats. Well, how often do they do it? And yet, basically, we will go weeks and not see a goat faint, you know, because we don't do that. I mean, you know, we don't startle and we don't do anything like now. Kidding is coming up next week, you know, and every now and again, I got to catch a goat. And I know that if I move really, really fast, I've got a five second window in which I can catch that goat. <laughs> um, so if you're interested in a freak show, forget it. You know, I mean, they have more uh, dignity than that, you know. But I mean, you know, I, I find that goats are dignified and I find that they work well, they do well for us. I very, very rarely have to trim feet, for example. And so, you know, some people will come, now, this is going to be really, really biased, okay? But some people will go, well, where's your boar goat? You know, thinking I should be crossing with boar goats. And frankly, I personally have not seen a boar goat whose feet I liked. I do not want to trim goat feet. <laughs> and so, you know, my goats do get some attention to confirmation, you know, so that we try to make sure that the pasterns are set and that the fetlocks are upright and you know, everything that a good goat should have. And yes, some of them do lack in that, you know, but if you have a good, a well-conformed goat, it just becomes that much more trouble-free and easy to manage. Yeah, I don't think anybody likes to trim feet. And in, in fact, last year I had a um, Kiko breeder on here who that's one of the things she selects for is, is really good hooves. And she said she had a buck one time who only had to have his hooves trimmed once in his whole life. And she's like, that was great. So, I mean, really, who wants to trim goat's hooves? <laughs> Not me. And yeah, we have several that, you know, basically never get trimmed, period. Now we do, and we're in Southwest Virginia, so we have rocks. Rocks are a great thing, you know, because they do actually help wear the hose down, but it's been fairly trouble-free. Yeah. Well, this has been great. This has been very interesting. I'm glad you mentioned the fact that you can go weeks without seeing a goat faint, because I think some people might have been thinking that like, oh, that would be so much entertainment to have a fainting goat. But it sounds like chickens are probably more entertaining if that's all you want. Chickens are entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> we'll give them that. So is there anything else that um, you wanted to say about them before we wrap up for today? Uh, not really. I mean, I, in, a, in the casual public, I mean, they're seen as this sort of freak show trivial thing. And actually, when you start taking a look into it, they're a really, really seriously good production goat. And you know, with my work in breed conservation, I mean, frankly, I went to go visit breeders first, thinking that the whole story was bogus, that there wasn't a breed here and that we could just get them off the list and go our merry way. 
And then you went there and you looked at them and no, there's a breed there. I mean, they all have a similar look. They all have a similar way to do things. And yes, there was a breed there. And at that time we got really pretty concerned about its future. And it's just rewarding now to see that the future is much more secure. Yeah, that is. This is really exciting. And so it's great that they're now on the recovering list of the conservation priority list for the Livestock Conservancy. And it's totally because of breeders like you who are so committed to preserving them. So thank you for that. And thank you for joining us today. This has been really interesting. I think people really enjoy this. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. And that's it for today's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any episodes. To see show notes, you can always visit ForTheLoveOfGoats.com. And you can follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Love Goats Podcast. See you again next time. Bye for now.